Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey everyone, for today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk, I have my boy Joom returning to the podcast, and I say returning because he's been on the podcast before, but full disclosure, we recorded something last week, and it ended up not seeing the light of day due to, um, I had a personal situation come up, and I wasn't able to get to the podcast in time, and so then, uh, then Kevin Durant scored 49 points in a, in a triple-double, and the Bucks lost game five, and it looked like that series was over. And then Chris Paul uh, ended up getting COVID. And then Kawhi had an undisclosed ACL injury. And then there was uh, Rick Carlisle stepping away. It was a very weird, like, 12-hour period in the NBA that just made the podcast feel totally irrelevant. So, unfortunately, we dis- we decided to just not put it out. Um, so, so then I knew me and June were like, all right, we have to lock back in and get one. So, this one was just recorded fresh. Um, I'm hoping that the NBA doesn't... Uh, doesn't just do the NBA thing on us and totally and totally ruin this podcast too but I'm gonna try and get this podcast up within the hour it was recorded it was recorded at 11 30 a.m this morning um this is just one talking about uh the Utah collapse the Philly collapse what to do with Ben Simmons what to do with Utah going forward and then a little bit of a conference finals preview for each of the matchups the Suns and the Clippers and the Hawks and the Bucks um yeah, it's. I'm not going to get into the coaching stuff. The coaching stuff will happen um, in more of the off season. I'm going to focus on playoff basketball because that's what's most important and that's what's most fun. To be honest, I'm just having a blast experiencing just an unpredictable NBA playoffs uh, that that no one could have ever foreseen it going the way that it's went. Uh, between injuries, between the ups and downs, between the story narratives, it's been it's been so much fun to watch, and I've greatly enjoyed it. So we had a lot of fun having this conversation. Um, as far as the rest of the content goes, uh, there will be some new Strictly Hip Hop soon. I'm um, doing the Wave segments. I just dropped one the other day talking about the validation of this year's NBA championship and why people should not throw away the season. That's a check, uh, a clip you could check out on Instagram at real Chris Platty and also on at Imperial Media TV. Uh, both of those both of those ads you can find the, uh, the the quick little clip of me breaking down the NBA um, and just the people that want to cancel it and you know kind of just count this season as a loss because of everything that's happened with COVID and with injuries and there's a certain stat going around that uh, that has people buzzing in the NBA community. So there's all that, um, and then also I'll be having my live streams. Uh, last live stream was the biggest live stream turnout yet. Uh, had quite a quite a quite a lot of people in that live stream. I went live a couple times with a couple different people, talking music, talking hoops, having a great time. It's my dog Maya in the background. So that's it. Let's get to the episode uh, quickly. Just follow me on the socials on Twitter and Instagram at Real Chris Platty, C H R S P L A T T E. I know you know how to spell real. And tune into the live streams, man. The live streams are a lot of fun. The numbers are growing each week. We're starting to get a community in there. Starting to see familiar faces every week. It's very fun. We talk new music. We talk NBA playoffs. Uh, it's just a great, great time. 
to uh, to really just engage with all of you. You know, I like to I like to talk to my friends and stuff for a living um, and, and do all this podcast stuff. But it's really cool to have that element of being live and just hanging out, just drinking, kicking back and talking talking with you guys. Because I feel like all of the time I I'm talking to you, but you don't get to talk to me. And so I like it as a, as a platform that allows you to talk to me. It's very fun. Um, check those out. All right, so let's not waste no more time. Let's get to it. NBA playoffs, conference finals preview, what to do with Utah, what to do with Philly, all of that coming up right now here on Strictly Hoop Talk with my man, June. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. Returning to the podcast is good friend of the pod, one of my favorite people to talk basketball with, my boy, Joom. How you doing, sir? Yo, what's poppin', man? How you doing? Good morning. Uh, everyone checking it out. What's up, y'all? Glad to be back. Listen, man, <laughs> we had to do another one after the last one aged so Ooh. poorly. <laughs> We had to oh, we had man. to get back in the booth. There was a podcast that we recorded that literally, um, I re- we recorded the podcast. Some life stuff came up, and then twelve hours later, the whole NBA flipped on its side. You had coaches uh, being fired. You had um, you had, you had Chris Paul and COVID protocol. Kawhi maybe an ACL injury, maybe done for the playoffs. It was. It was a, it was just a terrible, terrible gap time. It was, it was the quickest a podcast has ever been outdated in the history of podcasting. I think what, like, what kicked everything off was the Kevin Durant dropping forty nine seventeen that too. That, that night, yeah, that too. <laughs> Ridiculous. So we won't even get into the coaching uh, side of all that because all the coaching uh, hiring in the NBA seems to be changing every second. Today is the NBA draft lottery day, aka the day Kate Cunningham goes to the Detroit Pistons. But we'll be Ooh. focusing on just the NBA playoffs here. We'll talk about Philly's uh, Philly and Utah's epic um, shortcomings, and then we'll and then we'll preview Suns clips, Bucks Hawks. Um, all right, let's just start with let's start with Philly, man, because that's the one that everybody wants to talk about, and that is the Philly issue of what do you do with Ben Simmons? Um, I know there's also people taking it to the extent of calling for Doc Rivers as well, which is which is pretty fair. Um, I don't know if I would have also if I was Doc had the stones to bench Ben Simmons, but I think they should have uh, played more lineups, like for example. Um, not not play Dwight Howard and play uh, maybe Tobias at the five, just do something to move the ball and kind of have as many close to dribble penetrator shooters as possible on the floor. 
uh, just just little things. So I don't know if I'm fully ready to uh, to go with with getting rid of Doc. However, I don't necessarily have confidence in Doc moving forward as an NBA champion coach. Uh, so I'm more focused on the Ben Simmons side. I, I I was watching with a couple friends of mine at the crib, and when Ben Simmons passed up that 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 dunk, that was one of those things that you even in real time you just caught what happened. Like you you saw you saw him pass up a dunk. It was clear. It wasn't one of those things that you really had to pay attention. You saw him spin. He kind of lost the ball, got it on Gallo. Um, it was just him in the rim. It was just an easy like little drop step dunk. And he passes it to Maurice Tybal, who gets fouled. And that, to me, was the turning point. And to Joel Embiid as well. Joel Embiid, after the game, said uh, said that he felt like the turning point of the game was when we, we could have had a layup. And we had, uh, instead, we got one free throw. And that was with, what, like two minutes left in the game? Or a minute something left in the game? It was uh, That was the moment that stood out to me the most. Uh, what did you think of just that moment? Yeah, um, I think that is – I wouldn't say that. So I kind of disagree with Embiid as far as turning point goes. There's a couple of things that um, could have altered how that game ended for the 76ers. Uh, but I do agree that that was a big moment. I think it was a big moment. It was maybe a turning point for the 76ers as an organization. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, that's the moment where you're like, okay, this kid right now, you know, in Ben Simmons, he might just be impossible. And we had – we had – this was – as easy as a path to the finals that the 76ers um, could have had that I think easy. they'll ever have again. Um, the, the Nets were taken out by the Bucks, so you had a chance of actually beating the Bucks. Uh, like, and then on the other side, you have a CP3 coming out of COVID protocol, and you have an absent Kawhi. So this was probably their easiest path to a championship in this decade, I believe. And mm-hmm. I think that moment is what kind of like that's where the dissolve begins to happen. Um, I, and so I've always been anti quote unquote Ben Simmons. Um, only because I, I felt that him, he being as great as he is, his skill set cannot work alongside of Joel Embiid. Um, where unfortunately we're going to have to occupy a lot of his same space on the court with the back to the basket. Joe, uh, Joel trying to score and Ben trying to, you know, dish things out. However, it's just kind of like it, it's just a constant, like, clashing. Like, we always see – we're constantly seeing Joel out of position. And Ben, when it comes to aggressiveness, he's Lonzo Ball at this point. He's what we were kind of clamoring for Lonzo Ball um, to not be when Lonzo first got in the league. And we've seen a progression from Lonzo where he's now a consistent um, three-point threat. And I don't even think Ben needs to be that three-point threat. I think in that moment, just dunk it, right? That's all yeah. we're asking. Like, just turn around – Pipe it on Trey Young's head. You might have even gotten a foul. And there's a 30% chance, 35% chance that you're going to hit a free throw um, to put you up. I think they were down one, I think, at that point. Or it might have been tied, but to put them up um, two or something and then put the pressure now back on the Hawks. So um, I think for him, though, confidence is shot. And I I, I do want to see, and I think Dwight, I literally just listened to Dwight Howard kind of like come to his back and call um, or come to his defense and uh, I do want to see uh, Ben Simmons actually, you know, get out of this run. And I don't ever think he'll need to develop a three. Um, I yeah. think that the, the, this generation, this era, of the style of play does demand that from your ball handler. But I think that you being 6'11 and 240, your body type is so dominant that it, like, forget you. Like, you will never need to necessarily shoot a three if you can just drive to the, to the hole and hit a free throw. 
Um, and I think it's the same thing what we were talking about with LeBron a couple of years ago, where it's like, all right, down the stretch, you can take a shot and maybe hit that shot, but you're better off driving and, and going to the line to finish the game at the line. So uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm hopeful, um, yeah. but I want to see better. <laughs> I want to yeah. see, I, I want better for Ben and I want better for Joel. Cause I do think that Joel didn't have a perfect game, but he put up 31 11, um, did well defensively as much as he can. He also turned it over eight times. If if Ben is doing what he had to do, I think a lot of that, a lot of the pressure with the ball that Joel had to face, he's turning yeah. it over so many times. It's not there. Uh, it's definitely not there. And Tobias also needs to step up. That was they really sold by all accounts and measures. They sold, and I think the dog is also Doc also shares a really good percentage of that pie. Yeah, um, but you can't get rid of Doc in one year. I feel. I mean, the Pelicans did with Stan Van Gundy. I mean, nothing's nothing's impossible, but. I, I agree with everything you're saying with with Ben Simmons in particular. You know the issue is that the the fit has always been always been ugly. It's never been perfect. I think the people that try to convince uh, convince themselves were were delusional or had stock in it because those were the two. Philly in the process had a ton of picks, and let's be honest, there was really two that that really really panned out, and that's Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And so when you when you went through all that losing that they went through and all of the struggles that they went through, you know, and those two are the two guys that clearly emerge as whoa, these are these are special talents. And Ben Simmons, even though I can't remember a time when a player fell through my top forty ranking faster than Ben Simmons, um, if I'm just ranking the forty players, which is something I'm gonna do in in, in the summer once the season is over, uh he was somebody that that just continuously fell through my rankings in the playoffs and even though he did that you still can't deny the special talent that he has with his size his ability to handle the ball his vision on the floor um you know there is worlds where you know you surround him with the right people and I'm glad you spoke on the confidence thing because the confidence is is really what is really what the issue is even more so than the shooting is now it's the confidence thing because if you don't take any shots in four fourth quarters in a row in a playoff series, like that just tells me all I need to know about you and, and where you're at mentally. Like that layup, that layup passing up for a Maurice Tybal foul, that just perfectly captures a guy that just does not want to score, that just does not have the confidence right now. And, you know, I think that it's going to be uh, going to require a change of scenery. There was uh, reports that he's not working with the Australian team, or he's not playing with the Australian team in the Olympics. He's going to focus on skill development. And then a report came out yesterday that he's even considering changing shooting hands. Um, you know, that's that's a sign of a player that's just literally at his absolute low, and yeah. and a player that is like, I just, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know there's a problem, mm-hmm. and that's and that's the situation he finds himself in. And, you know, I, I've heard this thing with Giannis, and I completely agree because I, I apply Ben Simmons to this, is that you don't need to shoot in today's NBA. Uh, I know that, like, ball handlers, like you said, kind of require it. But if Ben Simmons had, like, an amazing low post game and he had his own team where he didn't have a Joel Embiid that was also in the low post, uh, you know, he could be totally fine because his passing vision out of double teams is otherworldly. It's way, it's way superior than Giannis. 
Um, if you give this man, if this man could just get in the post, have the space to do, you know, nice little, learn himself a little drop step, a little post hook, a little this, this, and that, just a couple tricks in the bag, you know, then all of a sudden, if you're double teaming, he becomes like a, he becomes like a Jokic without a three point shot, right? Like he becomes that guy that you just play through in the post and, and that can, and that can really, really work. Um, especially if now you need, you need, you would need great perimeter talent around him. You need like at least one or two people that can create off the dribble in case, you know, in, in case the defensive rotations are solid and, and it's, and, it, and it's a tough matchup, but you could play through a guy in the post in today's NBA if you know you have the right players around him, and I don't think that Ben Simmons really needs to be like a like a thirty percent, forty percent three point shooter. Like that would be awesome if he was, but I think realistically, looking at the fact that he struggles at the free throw line, I have no hope of him developing a three with with whatever hand he shoots with. So. I think it's a real, real issue for Philly. I think they need to trade him. But the tough thing is, is that I don't think you trade him right now, even though as much as everybody wants to trade him, it looks bad in the moment, but take the long-term picture. Because a year ago, this guy was the centerpiece of a James Harden package that they weren't willing to pull the trigger on. And then you have... And, and now fast forward and it's like, what's today's uh, sports show debate? It's Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum. That's a, that's a far fall. CJ McCollum's a nice player, but I don't think CJ McCollum, you, you swap him for Ben Simmons. And I don't think you're talking about Philly winning a championship in a year when, like you said, it was, it was so set for them. You yeah. had, you had Atlanta, Atlanta, Brooklyn or Atlanta, New York facing in the second round. You had Washington in the first round. Those are two teams that you should have that you should have absolutely beat with ease. Now I know partially uh, Joel B wasn't healthy, but still you still should have beaten Atlanta in this series, um, despite how great Trey Young was. You still should have won this series, and then you had that you had Philly Milwaukee, uh, or sorry Brooklyn Milwaukee, and that was everybody expected that to be a bloodbath series. We're now finding out in hindsight, had Brooklyn been healthy. It would not have been a bloodbath. It would have been an absolute uh, domination. But this was a year where Brooklyn was unhealthy all year. So this was your year for Philly to literally get out the East and then get to the finals. And like you said, on the west side of the bracket, the west side is a mess with with the Lakers and LeBron having injuries, with Kawhi, with uh, with CP3, uh, you know, the Jazz being the Jazz. Like it was so open and and I'm glad you said that it was it was the most open it's ever been for a decade. All this stuff brings me to my point that it is an extremely disappointing season for Philly, and I get that you want to pull the trigger on a Ben Simmons trade, and I think absolutely explore the explore the market. But at the end of the day, you know this dude this dude's trade value fell like it's forty percent of what it was last year, and I feel like Kristaps Porzingis and the Mavs are in the same position of like the trade value is almost so low right now that unless you uh, the, unless you get somebody. And there's always somebody. There's always somebody to get in the NBA, but unless you get somebody, you gotta kind of just ride it out and let them build their value back up. Like this is almost like depreciate. This is like selling Dogecoin right now. No, okay. no. <laughs> I'm not. Gonna, I'm not gonna go into that. But, oh my god! But essentially, you know, you're selling it at its lowest. You're selling it when the stock has completely fallen. And I yeah. think that if it's completely fallen, 
it could fall a little further, but in reality, it's more likely to bounce back up. And I think you mm-hmm. got to play that if you're Philly. So as much as Philly's fans don't want to hear this from me, I think you hold on to Ben Simmons for a little bit longer. What do you think mm-hmm. about that? So I'm torn. Um, I, with everything you just said, it makes a whole lot of sense. And I can see that. But I've been clamoring for them to get rid of Ben Simmons for four years. Like probably it's probably like two and a half. Um, only because the fit, I think he, like you said, Ben could probably win an MVP on another team. He could probably be the league's MVP if he's placed in the right situation. Um, Joel, I don't know if Joel is as good as he is without a Ben. Um, just considering maybe like the attention that, you know, Ben gives him. I mean, the attention that Ben takes off of him when he drives to the post, when he is actually aggressive. Um, but um, I think that both of them can thrive in their own situations uh, apart from each other. I think that though Ben, because he is such a low sell, and Daryl Morey is your general manager, <laughs> I think that like I, I'm thinking, um, one of my guy Charles really like kind of we, we're constantly just thinking about how to improve the Warriors, and um, we're just really big stuff Steph Curry fans, and uh, one of like one of the traits he keeps bringing up is like Ben Simmons. Um, Ben Simmons for like Andrew Wiggins or something like that. And I'm like, I wouldn't want Ben to take over for Andrew. I would rather Ben for Draymond. Um, but Ben for Draymond doesn't make sense for the 76ers. Yeah. However, um, but I do think that Ben's value right now, it's crazy because he, like you said, like his appraisal is so low. But the reality is, you know that he's a Ferrari. You know, yeah. like, you know he's a he, he's just a he's just a uh, uh, um an accident like an accident car i guess that needs yeah. to be repaired and all of that but you know it's optimal it's still a you know when you lift the hood up what you're getting it's 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 a ridiculous car you yeah. know like um and so i think that if philly does that they're not necessarily selling themselves short because i think the reality is this piece this just does not work with us and we everyone knows what it is in the regular season Ben's going to come out next year and put up 16, 8, and 8, and that's what you're going to get. You're also going to get defensive player of the year level defense. Um, a, defensive, a defensive anchor and a playmaker. Um, it's Mike Cloud, the first zero in D guy in the NBA. And it's <laughs> like, but this guy is like, when he's on, he's amazing. Um, and I think that a situation where he, pairing him alongside a non dominant ball handler. Um, but a really great shooter makes a whole lot of sense. Um, you, and, and that's where you think about the Portland trade, and it's like Dame does not need a Ben Simmons. Ben needs, really needs a Dame Lillard. Yeah. Ben really needs a Steph Curry. Um, and so I think Philly holds if they have to. I think that if the Warriors offer um, after tonight's uh, – after tonight's um, – Lottery, if the Warriors offer, I don't know, say the, the Wolves get the fourth and the Warriors get the eighth, they will offer four, eight, a future first or second, a, a, maybe a future first and another player. Um, I think that Philly considers that. Knowing that Philly's never going to get, Philly's not necessarily getting three or four picks for Bennett, uh, for Bennett anymore. And that window for their time, like that window of like excellence that they were pristine to kind of step into, I don't know how long that window is when Joel's like yeah. healthy, you know, every other day. Healthy-ish, yeah. <laughs> Ish, you know what I'm saying? So I think they have a really short window. Um, and I think you do whatever you can to optimize it. That's why James Harden made sense for them. That's also why James Harden made sense for the Heat. 
because yeah. Jimmy doesn't stay healthy either. But it's, you know, neither here nor there. Yeah, that uh, listen, the whole NBA should be absolutely livid at Philly and um, what's the other team? Philly and Miami, Miami for not pulling the trigger on that hearted trade. Because yeah, not do. only did you, not only did you guys epically collapse this year, but also on top of that. You now gave birth to this super duper team in the Nets that, like, we're show we've seen now in the playoffs that this Nets team, if they were healthy, like, just book it all the way through. Like, it was mm-hmm. never gonna be any question of who was going to win the NBA championship if right. those three were healthy. And I feel like Houston was really like I know at the end of the day they said they loved uh, they loved getting all those picks, but I feel like Houston was sitting there like, come on, like somebody like. We know what we're doing when we give this man, when we give James Harden to Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Like, does somebody want to do this for the sake of the NBA? And and Philly and uh, Philly and Miami both didn't do it, and they they both look stupid now a, a year later. But but listen, if any if anybody has the stones to hold on to Ben Simmons or to or to make the uh the the unpleasant basketball decision that's actually for the betterment of the team, it's Daryl Morey. So I think the one thing Philly can be reassured about is that, yes, they probably have some coaching issues. Yes, they have some, they clearly have some roster issues. Um, but at the end of the day, you have somebody at the helm that uh, I think instills confidence in your, in your organization. I think Daryl Morey, I think the only time he's made a trade that we haven't liked was the was the Russell Westbrook trade and we now know in hindsight he was kind of clearly forced into that trade like he didn't really want to do that trade so Daryl Morey's a guy who usually always makes always makes the right move for the team even if it's the unpopular move and so I think Philly should have confidence in that moving forward but it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out like you said it, it could be one team to over to overwhelm you with an offer, another team to make a make a stupid offer, another star player that becomes uh, that becomes unavailable or that becomes available that we don't know about. There's a lot of things that can happen. The NBA can definitely NBA. We've learned that from our last podcast. We've learned that from just the last few years of the NBA that things change on a dime. Let's jump to Utah real quick and, and their collapse, and then we'll get into Suns Clips, Bucks Hawks. I don't want to spend too much time on this because. You know, I think it's pretty honestly self-explanatory, it, and it's some of the same situation as Philly. Ironically, it's the one and two in defensive player of the year rankings uh, that that actually had terrible, terrible cases um, for for themselves in the playoffs. Rudy Gobert was actually defensively. I don't think anybody was was questioning Ben Simmons' defense, but Utah. This one is pretty self-explanatory to me. A guy is absolutely cooking. I know what the stats say. I I know. I know that Terrence Mann is not the greatest shooter, but the fact that this man had 39 piece on pretty much all wide open shots, uh, you know, that just tells me like, I've played basketball, you've played basketball, we've played it enough to know, you know, neither of us play at the NBA level, but even if you play it at just a simple fundamental level, you know that there's elements of the game that uh, when a player is just feeling it. And you have to make adjustments. I don't care if this man's never hit a three in his life. If he hits four threes, his confidence is through the roof that day. And you have to play him differently than you play him the other 364 days of the year. And I think that by putting Rudy Gobert on him and trying to have Rudy Gobert defend the paint, but then also kind of defend the three, just put Rudy Gobert in compromising positions. And really, he got he got really played off the floor 
um, or should have gotten played off the floor. And I know it's tough to do because he's your second best player, a lot like the situation with Ben Simmons. You have to kind of, I don't know if you have the stones to, to bench your defensive player of the year, especially when you, you know, what you, all you need is stops because you're up 26. And then, and, and also the other thing to me was I would have played Clarkson over Conley because Conley looked like he didn't have it that night. And Clarkson was a blowtorch and dropped like 21 points in, in the second quarter. So to me, it was a couple simple issues that Utah had that they were just unwilling to make. And the Clippers just for an entire half literally got practice shoot around threes. I mean, they were stupid, stupid open. Uh, they made Reggie Jackson made a few tough floaters, but that was when the momentum was clearly on the Clippers side and they were feeling it. Uh, it was it was a simple, simple game. You know, it, it was a simple, simple strategy that I think that they just they just didn't make the adjustments. And Rudy Gobert wasn't punishing them enough on the other side to to make it worth it to keep him in. Uh, I mean, did you see anything different? I agree. hundred percent agree. Um, and it's almost disheartening because you think about, I don't know if you saw Draymond's discourse on yeah. uh, he's talking with Taylor Ricks recently. And it's just like, you know, um, you're never going to want to take me, Draymond, off the court just because he does so much, so many things defensively, his versatility defensively. And then you think about Rudy Gobert, who um, is an excellent defensive anchor piece, right? An excellent defensive presence. Um, but when you cannot realize that, like, him being on the floor is a negative, and I think this is also Doc's issue. This is also Budenholzer's issue at, at, at times. Like, this is – for some reason, these are a lot of these coaches' issues where they don't see when a player is being a negative, a big corner piece is being a negative, and they don't have the balls, so like you said, to bench them or to um, switch them out for something more capable. However, like you said, Utah had a couple of more issues, like more issues than what was presently in hand. Their collapse was um, also Mike Conley not being there, so D. Mitch had to, to bear the brunt of a lot of it. Their shooters weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Like you said, uh, Clarkson, I think, had 20 or 24 um, game six in the first half. Yeah. And then come, and then, in, and then in the second half, is like a complete ghost because he's not getting the PT to actually get better. So um, I think coaching was their big downfall. Um, it's hard, though, because I also think that Rudy, sort of like Ben Simmons, right, where Ben Simmons was unplayable because of offense, um, down a stretch now, I think Rudy's also, you're going to have to also look at Rudy and maybe consider if he's like, consider the value of him. Um, if he's only valuable for 45 minutes in a game yeah, or, you know, and, and if he's only valuable for 45 minutes, are you willing to pay him? He, he got paid how much? 180? <laughs> and like, um, a lot, <laughs> a lot, you know, and, and if you can't be effective down a stretch, What's also I, and, I, and like this has me thinking about what Shaq said, but I'm also sure that Shaq also wouldn't be effective down a stretch in this era, um, outside of his scoring. Because Shaq is going to bulldoze when it comes to you know scoring inside. But um, if you can't match three for three, if you can't stop them on three because you're a defensive light, and it's it's crazy because he's not a liability. It's his defensive strength that's working into their negative. That's not yeah. working. You know what I'm saying? Um, but so. Uh, I think that they have to really observe uh, and assess what they want to do there. Um, I'm always a guy who wants to trade, who, who you know, trade a piece early before it's too late. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know if this is blasphemous, like saying it now, but you might want to consider if you're Utah finding a, a piece that can, um, or even really just getting, I was about to say get a Miles Turner who 
is more, but he's also a, a rim protector. Um, but just someone who's more mobile um, yeah. when it comes down to it. And you might not need to trade Rudy. I mean, you can, can you do? Can you do? I mean, just spitballing here. Can you do some uh, Rudy Gobert and something for Turner and Brogdon? You know, type of okay. thing. Like, like try to flip, try to flip, and, and kind of strengthen because I think I think Utah needs. Uh, clearly needs another ball handler slash shot creator slash offensive orchestrator. Like I like the idea of Conley and Malcolm Brogdon to me is a Conley eight years younger. You know what I mean? And, and less less of that. But uh, but a guy who will move the ball, make the right plays, could do a little just enough scoring on his own that you respect him. But mainly is has that point guard mind, that true point guard mind of I need to get everybody going. And then Miles Turner, like you said, I mean, that's what the the 60% version of Rudy Gobert rim protection. But then he also gives you the three-point shooting, and he's a little bit more mobile. Like, that's something that, you know, that if you're Utah, like, you try it, you you can maybe try to do, right? Right. Um, It's tough because I I wonder what you do with that. I mean, they're, they're already undersized in a lot of, like, their guard sets. And so you're potentially rolling out. Um, Brogdon's what six four six five. Um, I so that's intriguing because you, you you're still undersized. Brogdon gives you everything Conley does, plus the defense, plus plus he's a th- triple double threat. Um, but Conley has a really nasty contract, yeah. <laughs> um, and you're you're going to need to um divulge as much as you can to that contract. Well, I think he's a free agent this year, right? Oh, actually, you might yeah, be right. He is. Yeah, he oh. is. Yeah, so. Okay, so so Rudy for Brogdon and Miles Turner, who also was a defensive player of the year candidate. I don't know if Pacers say yes, but because um, you have some bonus. Actually, there was a there was a conversation I think recently where um, one of the guys were plan her, plan, are planning or not planning but clamoring uh, for Ben to be placed in a Sabonis type of role, um, yeah. where you know Sabonis is your playmaker. Um, is a great, great defensively. Simonis could do a lot of things really well, yeah. and um, yeah. And then, but pairing next to Miles Turner, so Sabonis next to Go- Gobert, that's intriguing. That's it's intriguing to me because I think it could work. Um, I don't think the Pacers do it though, but we'll see. Yeah, listen, man. Utah has some real issues, and also, you know, if anything, this NBA playoffs has taught us. We made the right decision making Monty Williams coach of the year. <laughs> like, like if we the other two would be running were Quinn Snyder and Tom Thibodeau, and yeah, those those would not have aged well um, coming into the uh, considering now what happened in the playoffs. I think if you're redoing, uh, if you're redoing the playoff coaching rankings, you have probably Monty one, and then you probably have Nate McMillan two, right mm-hmm. for that job he's done in Utah or sorry in in Atlanta. And then you have who's who's your third? Is it Ty Lue for Coach of the Year or Coach of uh, Yeah coach for of Coach playoffs. of the Year? Like I mean, considering the playoffs, like factoring in the playoffs, uh, I mean, you, you know, go, you go, you go, Monty, you got Tibbs, uh, you got you, you still would put Tibbs in there. Well, I mean, considering playoffs, I, I mean, because yeah. that's, you got, you that's got my Nate, point is that you got Nate McMillan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oops. Nate McMillan has um, definitely de- would definitely deserve to be like number two in in the conversation because okay. nobody expected the Hawks to be no to be this. But uh, but yeah, Quinn Snyder after that collapse. I mean, how do you? That's a guy who was top three in Coach of the Year and yeah. has been top three in Coach of the Year multiple times. So 
I think I, you remember uh, the last pod, right? And I was kind of figuring out, I was trying to figure out what to make of Tyloo. And um, I think yep. I, I tweeted it, and it's like, yeah, he has to get, he's getting his roses for me. Um, yep. Until I have a reason to. Like, I, I don't think I'm I can badmouth um, what he's doing. And like you said, I think it's a motivation thing. I think it's an inspiring confidence thing. But he did uh, some good tactical things too. Like yeah, he, exactly. he kind of he kind of figured out and like forced Utah's hand in this series. And I think he I think he's one of those guys that I think he, I still think his biggest strength is the way he instills confidence in his players. He just seems to have that genuine connection with with all of his players. And I right. think that that's like a very important skill to have as a coach. And very few coaches are able to do that. So I think that's the that's the great foundation. But he's really impressed me with his tactical decisions. I think he's one of those coaches that he kind of he kind of frustrates me because he kind of plays he almost like plays possum the first couple games of the series and like just sits back and watches you and then and then figures you out and makes the adjustments and then like he's one of those coaches that gets better the later the series goes and that's a good thing to have. But sometimes you know sometimes i feel like he he kind of sets himself up to be uh to be down 0-2 when he doesn't necessarily have to when you can steal a game uh, one of those games and really just take a lot of pressure off of yourself which is kind of ridiculous right um yeah because he's done he did it the map series he did it uh the the jazz series and that's scary and as cleveland down 3-1 3-1 down cleveland that's really scary um, because what if he is just that the the best like in game adjustment guy like or the yeah. the best like series adjustment guy because that I mean you have that's your record now I mean that's your like legacy now down three yeah, one down two zero oh, down two zero oh, and so I'm I'm interested on how this Sun series goes um, yeah. if the Suns win uh, game two go up two zero oh, like what's the what's the narrative then um, but I mean it's you've got you don't have Kawhi. And that yeah. has to count. That has to count for something. Yeah, right? that does. That does. Let's talk yeah. Suns clips right now, um, because you're perfectly leading into it. In that, Suns win the first game. Uh, they look like the dominant team. Devin Booker looks awesome. Uh, speaking of problems with Ty Lue, I just think when a dude is like hot take, when a dude is like approaching a forty point triple double, like put more defense on him, like give more attention, make somebody else win, uh, because he was. Devin Booker was absolutely sensational, but I think that the Clippers weren't really pressing him enough. I think that they weren't giving him enough intensity. I think if they're if they're a little bit more physical, if they're a little bit more aggressive with him, I still think that he's a developing playmaker. Uh, you know, he's shown great strides, and I think that the Chris Paul thing, which was one of the reasons I said to do the trade in the first place, was because even if this team doesn't get successful having Devin Booker learn from the mind of Chris Paul for one year is probably one of the like top five things in the NBA you could want your superstar to have is like is like a one year boot camp with Chris Paul. So I that definitely paid off, but I think that I think that the Clippers can definitely force him to be more aggressive and get him more turnovers and make him uh make tougher reads and all of that stuff. So I think that there is some room for adjustments even without the factor of Kawhi obviously. But um, I said this before at the start of the series, man. Just roster wise um, and coaching wise, I like I like Monty, I like Ty Lue, uh, but I'm taking a CP3 list Suns over a Kawhi list Clippers. Like I just think that I I think that you you rely too much on some players that I'm not comfortable relying on if on the Clippers side versus the uh, versus the Suns, 
and what and what they can do. And the real test in this series will be when Tyloo does his thing and says, "All right, let's go super, let's go super small, let's whip the ball around, shoot threes. Is DeAndre Ayton going to be Rudy Gobert? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Is he going to be unplayable? I think that's something to really watch for. Um, and that can really flip the series because if DeAndre Ayton is unplayable, then you now take off uh, Phoenix's, like, I mean, he's probably been their third best player in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think over the season it, you would have took Mikal Bridges as their third best player. But, uh, but yeah, it's like it's one of those two. You take a key piece out of uh, out of Phoenix's rotation, and that that's going to really change things and and change the whole entire series. So, I'm not confident in picking Suns over Clippers. And although my bracket at the beginning of the season picked the Clippers to win the championship, or not the season, the beginning of the playoffs, um, I am going against myself here. But I think Chris Paul will be back for Game Three. I'm I'm thinking. Maybe at the at the latest game four, Kawhi. We just don't know. We don't know how bad he's hurt if he's coming back, and if he's coming back, you know, just how good he'll be able to move and and, and be. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm rolling with the Suns in this series, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Clippers if the Clippers make the adjustments that Tyloo has shown to make the last couple of rounds and and end up winning the series. Uh, I'm with you with Suns. Um... So I think that the Clippers have a Chris Paul, right? Who whether he plays or not, I don't think I don't think they get it done without Chris. But I do think that Chris cements them, and I think Chris does what he's been doing this entire playoffs run, where he allows the younger guys to shine in the you know from quarters one to three, and then in the fourth quarter he comes in and does what he needs to do. And I think that's how this series will play out. Um, Chris can be. I, I think they can go two two zero or two or two and one. Um, until Chris gets back in the series. And I think when it comes to the adjustments, right, DeAndre Ayton could end up being like the go-bearer where you have to sit him because he's unplayable. They're, they're trying to expose him on a perimeter. Um, but I do think that you have such a uh, versatile like defensive cast yeah. um, where it's like you can run Jay at the four or five. You can run Cam Johnson at the five because yeah, he's a little Johnson. bit more nimble. Yep. If you need to go, if you need to go size with some measure of speed, Jalen Smith, who's barely gotten any playtime this playoffs, um, and he's a Maryland guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna root for him. Um, <laughs> but Jalen Smith, even then, you know, in in a little, we saw him in in the regular season. He's a capable um, kind of what that Miles Turner was where. It's you know he can shoot out and defend uh, the perimeter a little bit. Um, you don't want him on your quickest guys, uh, but he can he can step up to a Paul George maybe and contest a shot, um, and then he can run back in and, and maybe contest at the rim. And so that and that's if you need to go as deep as you know um, Jalen uh, Jalen Smith. Um, but I do think that we can see a lineup where it's, it's Chris, it's Book, it's uh, Macau, it's Jay, and then it's also Cam. Um, and yeah. not be there, you know, do what that needs to do. Um, I don't, so I'm really confident in the Suns at this point. Uh, and I'm also confident in Monty Williams and like that Chris, Chris Paul pairing where they're going to yeah. be able to figure out a whole lot on a fly. Um, That's very true. And then, but like you said, Devin Booker, um, I and applause to him because I think he, he just like Trey Young has done is shutting up a lot of his doubters, a lot of his detractors. Um, I think Paul George has been able to do that these last couple of, uh, games I want to say as well, but mm-hmm. um, you know Devin Book doing the playmaking thing, and and I've been I've been echoing that Devin Book he ran point guard 
for the Suns a lot of last year, or, or even a, a lot of the last two years, where Rubio was there at some point. Uh, but, but even before Rubio was there, uh, Book was doing a lot of those point guard duties. Um, and I think that this is who Book is. He's a, he's a very versatile offensive piece. Um, and I think that's going to work into his favor, um, into the Suns' favor in this like this series alone, where like you're going to be asked to do so many different things because you're going to need to pull out of so many different things as they make adjustments. Um, so I'm excited for this. Uh, I got the Suns winning maybe in six if it gets to yeah. six, uh, but it should be a convincing kind of win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that I think that it's going to be a series that will have more twists and turns than we expect it to have. But like you said, ultimately, um, that's a good point about Chris Paul and Monty Williams. I think that, you know, the difference of Donovan Mitchell and Quinn Snyder trying to figure you out versus Chris Paul, one of the smartest basketball minds ever, and Monty Williams, you know, I think that they can they could come up with some things. Because I think even though the Clippers can put together these awesome performances without Kawhi, I think that they're they're pretty solvable in some senses, right? Like they're, they're pretty solvable. And I think that, and I think the difference is that DeAndre Aiden doesn't have the stature that Rudy Gobert has. So it's easier for the coach to say, Hey, you know, like we have to bench you for this and play Cam Johnson or Dario Sarge or whoever we have to play in in this situation to, um, to, to win the game. So I think that works the benefit of the Suns, And also I think Monty Williams just, and that team just has total buy-in and total trust with each other. I genuinely think that, you know, pretty much everyone everyone on that roster understands that's outside of Devin Book and Chris Paul. They understand that, hey, if I get benched, it's for the it's for the better man of the team and like I'm all in. You know what I mean? I think that the Suns have that that kind of special chemistry that I think is going to play a big factor in, in this series. And ultimately, like I said, I, I I'll go with you, I'll go Suns in six or seven. Um, but it's it's a toss up, and obviously I can see a world in which Kawhi comes back, and and Kawhi is Kawhi, and, uh, and and this doesn't really matter, especially if Paul George can play, can continue to play as great that as he's played um, the last couple games. Let's jump to the Bucks and the Hawks. Uh, the Bucks had a what a what a win, what a game seven win. Uh, it was it was one of those situations where it was just Durant just trying to just drag the, the entire corpse of of the Brooklyn Nets roster to the finish line um, wasn't able to do so Milwaukee won everybody looked absolutely gassed at the end of that at the end of that game um, it was it was it was probably one of the best game sevens I've ever seen in my life there's only seven game sevens that went to overtime and this was one of them and Kevin Durant I mean I mean we're we're talking if his like it, the NBA is he such wore margins. A smaller shoe. <laughs> yeah, if he, he wore, wore his actual size. If he wore a smaller shoe, we're talking about Bud being fired. And there's that one. There's that one clip that they went to as the game was over, as they were doing their little TNT broadcast thing, where they have the little the 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 few like slow motion images pop up. And there's one where where Bud is just smiling ear to ear, hugging Giannis and Chris Middleton around the waist. I'm just like, that's the face of a coach that just knows his ass was saved, his job was his job was saved. Because now I think you know, like there was tweets coming into the game from Bucks. I follow a lot of Bucks Twitter, um, and I enjoy Bucks Twitter. Shout out Bucks Twitter. They were talking, okay, win and get to the conference finals, or lose. And get Rick Carlisle. 
Like that was like the mindset of like Milwaukee fans coming into this game seven. And, you know, now it's kind of crazy that, you know, assuming that assuming Bud doesn't have an epic collapse against Atlanta uh, and the Bucks get to the finals, you can't fire the coach that got you to the finals. Like, it's just such a weird it's such a weird situation because I have no confidence in the Bucks. Like I have confidence in them in this matchup. This is the most confidence I've had in them all season um, or all playoffs because Miami, you know, they always had the thing of is Miami going to do what they did last year and just punk them. And then Brooklyn, I expected Brooklyn to win. And as we saw, if Brooklyn was fully healthy, they're blowing out the Bucks. The Bucks just seem to just n- not fully have it figured out, or they only have it figured out for stretches. It's super frustrating, and I have no faith in them as uh, as a uh, as a as a true championship team. But here they are in the final four, and the bracket is broke right. And maybe they get the Clippers without Kawhi in the finals, and you know maybe that's a and and that's an advantageous matchup that they could definitely win. Uh, it's just a weird thing to make of this Bucks team. Like I just look at this team, and I'm I'm so frustrated by it because it should just be so much better than than what it is. Yeah. Um, so I, I know this is where we were. This was the the fork in the road that we were last Tuesday, right? And then right. we saw their epic collapse in Game Six. Uh, or or was no that was game five I believe when they collapsed right um yeah. Kevin Durant goes re- completely nuclear um and we saw an almost epic collapse on on uh, uh in game seven first of all uh, Kevin Durant uh, ridiculous he's Salute not from earth um absolutely ridiculous because that was possibly we've seen a lot of really great amazing games um but that might have been his greatest game. Uh, and it's crazy because he had a streak. Like, he had his greatest game on Tuesday. Yeah. But, but game seven um, on Saturday night. Um, what? You know? And, and it's crazy. I was, I, have that, I was at a friend's birthday party. Um, we go over to his girlfriend's house afterwards. And then, like, as everyone's dispersing, I'm watching in game seven in my car. Just because I don't want to drive home. Mind you, I live, like, four minutes away from where we were. And <laughs> just what you're seeing, though is once again Bud choosing to stick to his laurels. Um, Giannis mentioned that they did make an adjustment uh, going into or coming out of the half where they needed to um, – he moved he, he moved Giannis's positioning so that he was able to switch on Harden or switch on KD whenever. And I think that Harden – I mean, Giannis saw a lot more of Kevin Durant that night. However, when it mattered the most, P.J. Tucker was on Kevin Durant. When yeah. it mattered the most – Drew Holiday was on Kevin Durant, and, and Chris Middleton was on Kevin Durant, and and that's a lot. But that's a lot of frustrating, um, just to kind mm-hmm. of see, just because you think that the same way Hero Ball goes on the offensive end, where you say forget plays, forget the the flow of the game, go make a bucket. I think the same thing. You say, hey, you are our best defender. Not only that, even if you weren't our best defender, you're six eleven. He's six eleven. Um, yeah. you're a big guy. Like, go stand in front of him. This is go their entire it. offense. This you know, is their entire offense. Just stop this guy. No, yeah. no one was doing anything. No one could do anything for the um uh, the Nets. And so, um, I think that you you kind of it's it's frustrating because uh, I have the Bucks probably beating the Suns, uh, beating the Hawks, and then getting to the finals and beating the Suns. Um, and it'll be like the most undeserving like coach recognition, I think, because oh my god, yeah. 
because it because it, it'll really be on the, the heels of 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 Giannis's greatness and uh, Middleton finally hitting or hitting shots when it matters and Drew Holiday doing something like, um, and then maybe one or two other additional pieces actually contributing. But um, it's 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 kind of it's frustrating. I get what you're saying. Um, I'm but even crazy enough that while I was on the fence last week, I'm like further over for the for the Bucks side, and maybe it's me really just rooting for Giannis at this point. Um, it has to like, be. It has but, to be. But it, but it, but it's like it, what we saw. We saw them finally, and, and I think those game sevens really build integrity and character. And I think that's what happened. Um, that's what's happening. I think that if they go down in any way, shape, or form to these Hawks, I think that boot like Bootenholzer has to go. Um, even if they yeah. win this series, they go. If they lose, oh, uh, game one and eight go for one to win the series. I think Boosh has to be like, yo, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, um, but I, but in, in, in reality, maybe it's working for them. Maybe it's finally working for them, right? Where Giannis played 52 minutes on um, Saturday night. Um, those are the most minutes he's probably ever played in his career under Budenhoser. Um So maybe it's getting there. He's seeing the light a little bit, but we want to see more. I don't think Giannis has to worry about a defensive thing anymore i think now it's just the team playing up to par yeah it's the offense that's frustrating the defense has been pretty good and you know my frustrating point with uh with what you talked about with putting Giannis on durant is like i get like bucks people relax i get why Gian- why you don't put Giannis on the best defender you want him to be this ultimate free safety health defense help defender because he's a freak athlete could get anywhere on the floor any second i get all of that but the problem is, if you're watching that series, Giannis isn't really helping on Durant's a lot of times. And and if we're watching that, by Game 7, Durant is the only player that's breaking down the defense. Who else is breaking down the defense? Blake Griffin a couple times on Brooke Lopez? You live with that. James Harden isn't moving. He's got a grade 2 hamstring. He's he's like we talked about before. He's He's literally avoiding acceleration at any cost. He's just trying to move the ball. He's literally out there to just jog from three-point line to three-point line and make the smart passes that uh, that Tyler Johnson and Landry Shamit can't make. You know, that's really what he's out there to do and, and hopefully hit a couple of shots. And so, like, that was, that was the thing is, like, just put Giannis on Durant because Durant's the only one that's breaking down the defense. You know, like, I, I get the idea also of not wanting Giannis to have fouls, but it's it's game seven. It's the end of the game. Put Giannis on him. P.J. Tucker is a smart guy. Let him play help defense. He's he's somebody that's good, that, that can that could do a good job of reading things. And, and when he fouled out, I thought, oh, man, here we go. Here we go, Giannis. And then, and then it was Drew Holiday the rest of the way. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Your entire season's on the line. Giannis, like, you have to just put Giannis on him because – if Kevin if Kevin Durant's not breaking you down, nobody else on this Brooklyn team is breaking you down and causing the defense to play help and rotate and do all of that stuff. Like just throw Giannis on Durant, let let it get ugly, let him get some really good contests, and you know, and and if you do that, then I'm sure you I'm, I'm sure Kevin Durant shoots some tougher shots, and that's really you know M- Milwaukee's ultimately very lucky to escape with the with the win. Um, but you know, every game seven needs luck. So I'm not totally bashing the bucks for that, but it's just frustrating because it seems like that's the only part of their defense. They haven't figured out 
The offensive side, I totally, I, I totally am just no confidence in. They just seem to just sometimes they run it through Giannis, sometimes they run it through Holiday, sometimes they run it through Middleton, and almost every time it seems like the the wrong person is running the offense. Like it seems like Drew Holiday was running the offense when he was shooting horrible from the field, and he turned it around late in the game, and was an absolute key for them to win. But Giannis was running, uh, Giannis was running the offense, and then he would take a three. Or he would take a, a dribble pull up mid range, and to his credit, he hit the dribble pull up mid ranges. But I still didn't like any of those that he took. Um, and then Chris Middleton was running it when he was missing shots. It was just, it just seemed like, it seemed like they were running the offense through the wrong player at the wrong time. And even though three of those players are the right option to run the offense through, they were doing it the wrong way. It just seemed to be so inconsistent um so so tough to watch uh now granted i think that like you said it will be easier in this series both sides of the ball especially defense yeah but um but uh but offensively too like they just have to they just have to figure it out and i feel like i kind of feel like what you said is true too that they're almost stumbling onto it like they're almost stumbling onto like the the blueprint of how to of how to win games yeah I think that's right where it's like, yeah, and this is Giannis though, right? This is the uncanny, um, unprecedented, like it's it's the the I've been seeing this go around. It's anti basketball. Um, I don't agree necessarily, but this is like the story of Giannis, who is an unfinished product. Um, so the game is extremely raw, I believe, to like still to him, uh, or how he's but he's dominating and it's still raw. Like, he's dominating, he's excelling, and it's not 100%. It's not the 100% product yet. And I think that's that's impressive. It's also scary because it could be your greatest downfall if you come against the right coaching. Um, and so I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm really intrigued. I, but I do have them pulling you through this year. Uh, I think, yeah. But I, I think I'm really rooting for Giannis. Um, yeah. Just because I, I feel like it's he's changing some of the rules. Um, and I, and I'm for rule changers. He's changing the idea that, Hey, you can't be great in this game without a jump shot. Right. So he's making, he's paving a path for Ben Simmons. Um, but like, you know, but we did want to see that Ben and Giannis matchup, right? Did we? We did. We absolutely did. Cause that would have been, that would have been very fun to watch. But yeah, I think if you're an NBA fan, I think right now the two teams you're rooting for, are the uh, are the Suns and the Bucks? I, I I have to think that you know maybe you're rooting for the Clippers or maybe you really love the underdog Hawks. Like, yeah, but I think ultimately, like as far as like who you want, because the NBA is so important about who gets a championship and who doesn't. Like, it's so important to legacy. I think you want Chris Paul to be like, yes, Chris Paul getting that ring. That should be every NBA fan. That should be their number one, their number one vote, and their number two should be Giannis because, like you said, he's. He's breaking narratives, and he's a dude that, by all accounts, just is is trying his ass off to do the right thing and bring uh, and bring Milwaukee a championship. And it almost seems like he's he's doing it at the uh, while clashing with the with with the coach in order to in order to do it. It's incredibly frustrating, but but yeah, it's been fun, man. I'm really excited. I got the Bucks uh, over the Hawks in this series in five. I'm sure it sounds like you kind of have the have the same line of thinking four yep. or five right yeah four or five yeah five, um, I love it. It, yeah it, it'll be 
it, it should be a it should be a relatively non competitive series. That's if it what is. we thought the seventy sixers hawk series was supposed to be. So that's what, exactly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little still on the fence on it, but yeah, I mean, but really, praise to all praise to Nate McMillan, um, and to Trey Young. To John Collins, uh, to Kevin Herter, another Maryland boy. We out here. Maryland is really showing off. Um, but uh, yeah, but they all praise them. They did extremely well uh, that series. They pulled through. They knew what they needed to do. Even when Trey had a bad game, from a scoring standpoint, like just being a presence on the floor is extremely important. And um, he's Absolutely. mastering that. So good stuff. Absolutely. So we got we we got Bucks Suns. We both got Bucks Suns in the finals. Uh, we'll we'll get back. We'll reconvene a little bit later in the series to kind of see where we're at here and and uh, see if see if our picks are on course. The NBA season has been anything but predictable, and the NBA playoffs has been a whole nother level of that. Thank you, June, for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate you. I'm a fan of uh, uh, of all the work that you do. And I enjoy talking hoops with you whenever I get the chance. So I'll have your stuff in the description of where of where to check out uh, where to check out Drew and all that. But in the meantime, why don't you uh, why don't you plug anything you got working or anything you want to plug uh, just so that the listeners can hear it? Yes, sir, uh, my guy Chris. Thank you so much, man. You know it's always a pleasure to be here with you. Um, you can find me on Twitter and IG at Jumta J U M T H E underscore. Um, and so still got a lot of stuff uh, in the works coming out uh, relatively soon. So be on the lookout for that. All right, man. Thank you for everything, Drew. I appreciate you, my boy. Um, let's let's hope that this this podcast ages better than the last, but there's no promises in the, in the NBA. Thank you, man. For I'll sure. talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, man. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.